Welcome to the SR Big Thinkers podcast. I'm Lawrence Ampofo, and this is episode number seven. Welcome to the SR Big Thinkers podcast, where I speak to experts from around the world as they share their amazing ideas, insights, and perspectives on the ways digital technologies are affecting business and global affairs. In this episode, I talk with Professor Phil Howard, who is an author and professor at the Central European University in Budapest and the University of Washington in Seattle. In this episode, we speak about the ways in which the Internet of Things will impact upon geopolitics and how the ecosystem of connected devices will lead to more order and structure, not less. I hope you enjoy this episode. Here's Phil Howard. Okay, so hello there, Phil. Um, Thank you so much for being with us today um, on this podcast. your book is absolutely fascinating, but um, just for those of us who don't know in the audience, I was wondering if you can just talk um, a little bit more about yourself. Can you tell us a little bit more about your story? What inspired you to come to write about the Internet of Things and geopolitics? Hi. Well, um, I think it was a particular story I, I read in one of the technology magazines about how design works for the Internet of Things. And the Internet of Things, as you probably know, many of your, your listeners will know, is uh, defined by objects, everyday objects, that have an address on the Internet and some kind of sensor and some kind of battery pack that, that keeps the sensor uh, awake and alive. And the designers of the Internet of Things, the people who are putting chips into everyday objects, uh, tend not to think much about the political implications of their work. And over the last, uh, well, since Snowden, right, um, everybody else has been thinking about the political implications of, of the Internet, um, of surveillance and censorship. And so I wanted to put these two pieces together, that this notion that we're designing a new Internet with the notion that uh, the Internet we have isn't very satisfying for a lot of us. Okay, okay. So what is the actual premise then of the of Pax Technica? What's the well, main thing you're trying to say? Yeah, my argument in the book is that, that this, um, this notion of disruption in international affairs, it's something that, uh, you know, the Google CEO has talked about, the State Department talks about how the Internet is disrupting everything uh, in international politics and nothing will be the same. To some degree, there's, there's some truth to that. There's a lot of surprises, I think, ahead for, for political actors. But I don't think disruption can be a rule in international affairs. I don't think perpetu- perpetual disruption can, can rock international relations uh, every year for the foreseeable future. 
And I think when technologies roll out, uh, they bring a certain amount of stability. By the time the Internet of Things is fully diffused, you know, five, ten years from now, it will actually be very difficult to change the protocols, change the cultures of use, change the laws that govern the Internet of Things. And so I argue in this book that the Internet of Things is actually going to give us a fair amount of stability, a real structure to international affairs. There's still some flexibility, I guess, in what that structure can be. It can either be open and civically minded and safe and secure, or it may be closed and proprietary and involve sort of competing empires of technologies. Okay, so um, I just want to kind of follow that a little bit more because um, you're, you're a professor and um, you've been working in the field of technology, particularly the internet and geopolitics for many years. And is this, is your idea based on a trend that you've seen occurring over the years? Well, yes, in the sense that I think we should, would, we should learn from the last 25 years or so about what, how the internet develops politically and use what we've learned for the last 25 years to make some, so to try to be prescient about what's, what's ahead for us. And over the last 25 years, we've seen some incredibly creative activists use device networks to uh, topple dictators. We've seen uh, publics arise around small issues that we never thought would mobilize people in particular countries. We've seen new kinds of political identities form. And we've also seen authoritarian governments use the Internet to uh, suppress independence movements and suppress opposition and uh, manipulate public opinion. So is this what you're talking about with regards to the structure that the Internet of Things might bring to geopolitics insofar as um, we might get a closed proprietary ecosystem or we might get one that's open but in terms of it, it might be a structure that we either like or or dislike but there will be structure in the end right i think it's going to be a, a very significant structure you know the industry industry pundits are always uh very bullish they're very excited about um making making guesses about how many objects will be the on the on the internet of things and the latest estimates are um 25 30 35 billion sensors by 2020, and another 100, 200 billion sensors by 2050. So, so imagine that, and, and there's, there's what, 10 million, no, sorry, 10 billion people. So imagine every one of us being immersed in a world of objects in which, you know, there's at least 10 sensors for every one of us. And uh, we're not talking about computers and mobile phones here, right? We're talking about uh, coffee makers and teddy bears and refrigerators all generating immense amounts of data. And if there's one thing that's that makes politics turn, it's it's access to good data. Um, if you can can gather and control and manipulate good data, uh, you stand a good chance of winning on your political issue. And the Internet of Things is gonna it's gonna generate great data, right? Absolutely right. And um but I think one of the um, one of the real issues is the kind of skills and awareness gap, and it kind of really leads nicely onto the next question I wanted to ask you. Do you think the public um, is aware enough of not just the Internet of Things, but in terms of data more generally, insofar as um, 
do you think they're aware of the impact of the potential impact that their data has on on them politically? I would. That's a good question, and I would say it depends on which country you're talking about. So. Um, you know, the Pew Internet and American Life Project uh, generates these regular surveys about technology use in the U.S., and one of their consistent findings is that most Americans care a little bit about privacy, but uh, don't actually read their terms of service agreements and don't really know how to even set the cookies on their browser. Um, in Europe, the situation's a little different. I think people are a little bit more uh, literate about the privacy implications uh, or sophisticated about about their privacy and, and their data trail. And I think privacy is more of a, a political concern for voters in Europe. In the UK and Canada and Australia, I think these are countries that have uh, what you would call a privacy SAR, right? Somebody, who, a technocrat that the government has appointed to, to help People um, track privacy issues and to help, you know do the public service of of keeping privacy as an issue, and in those countries, um, the result is that people know a little more about privacy issues. So it depends where you look, and I think that some publics are a little more sophisticated than others. I should say that that in some countries, the journalists are better than others at reporting on this stuff as an issue, right, as a political issue. In some countries, the there are um, there are good cohorts of technology reporters who who can report on this stuff as a, a daily as a cultural life issue. In other countries where it's just you know, there's other concerns or the journalists don't don't really cover tech the same way. I'm really interested in this because um, I've very much been tracking the the progress of technology with regards to geopolitics, and I do remember that there was lots of talk. When I started, first started looking at this, at how social media was an irrelevance and it certainly wouldn't have an impact on geopolitics. And that was until um, <clears throat> people very much became aware of the democratization of, um, of opinions, of a people's um, abilities to form interest groups that were transcultural and transnational easily. And I just really, really, really want to drill down. Um, with you on the title, the potential impact that you can see that the Internet of Things will have um, from a governance perspective? Okay. Well, this is a good question because some governments are better than others at manipulating data. And, you know, the U.S. government is particularly good. We've, we've seen the documentation on that. And then we know that there are other governments that are they're either good at playing with big data, right, at, at, extracting large amounts of information from device networks, or there are governments that uh, pay for help, right, that employ uh, hackers and freelancers and, and turn their militaries into basically cyber troops, right, they retask large sections of their military to do this work, and, and the Russians and the Chinese, to some degree, uh, Iran, uh, India, Pakistan, and, and the United States, th these are all governments that spend significant amounts of money on analysis. Now, I, they're, they're good at different kinds of things, and here we get into the geopolitics. Um, the Chinese are particularly good at um, espionage and cyber espionage, and that sort of blends into, um, I don't know what the right phrase is, corporate, corporate cyber espionage, right? Um, 
where where um, taking intellectual property from Western companies is part of the task list for military units, uh, along with taking information on uh, U.S. government personnel, that, that kind of stuff. So different governments are putting different amounts of resources into into reading data out of the Internet of Things. And I would guess that the Americans are the best at it at the moment and that the Russians and Chinese are, are um, teaching themselves quickly. And this, uh, this is really fascinating because I just really wanted to get your opinion on the, in addition to governments that are using the Internet of Things well, um, both from, I guess, an analysis and power projection perspective, but mm. also which organizations do you see using, using um, the Internet of Things well? I, I'm not sure that I, I think the Internet of Things is uh, still sort of a, an experimental source of um, intelligence. I would say that it's a target, perhaps a security target for uh, regimes or militaries that want to want to affect the shut down the information infrastructure in another country. Um, and I would say that at the moment the the real power over the Internet of Things lies with companies that make lots, a, a wide range of consumer goods and are now thinking about the platforms they want to use to roll out the next generation of the goods. So uh, the, the real example of this is a company like Samsung. We may think of the Internet of Things as being driven by Apple and its um, latest smart home technology or Google and its Nest, Nest thermostats, right? But I think it will come down to some of the large Asian manufacturers like Samsung or Huawei in China that make coffee makers and doorstops and teddy bears, right? And if they can figure out a way of putting uh, chips in, in their vast range of consumer goods and tying it all together into a proprietary system that allows allows those devices, that huge range of consumer goods, to to talk to each other, um, then they will have the ability to to manage vast networks of consumer goods. We were actually talking about this very recently with regard to the social Internet of Things. And and the person I was speaking to, Grima Felstead, he was actually saying that there's immense power in the ability for um, companies to both create networks, vast networks of where consumers were using particular goods, and also being able to merge um, arbitrarily these different networks and he said that this would lead to um, a form of power online that we haven't seen before. Is that something that you think as well? I think it's true but I do think we've seen it before and this is where I'd, where I'd uh, I guess respectfully disagree. I think that the internet has, has taught us about sometimes some of us call this communication power right it's the or network power it's the ability to form new networks or destroy networks, right? To to disassemble them, uh, to control the mandatory points of passage for information. And over the last 25 years, we've seen that power exercised in many different ways. Sometimes corporations have it. Sometimes civil society groups exercise it. Um, often governments use it. Uh, often governments use it. Governments use it most often when they're in a crisis, right? So we see we see real network power when. Um, Mubarak is desperate, right? And it's the last weekend. He's clearly losing control of Cairo. And so he decides to try and control 
the network of information flows in, in Egypt, and he, shut, he shuts everything down. So, so network power is something we've seen before. I agree it'll be different or much larger in scale with the Internet of Things, but it's, uh, that part, I think, is a familiar process. Mm-hmm. So, um, I guess, just kind of going on from this, this whole idea of um, of networks, mm-hmm. um, can you see that there would be new um, organisations in in addition to, for example, the WikiLeaks anonymous LaltSec organisations that we currently have using um, social media um, to um, um, to operate? Can you see there being new organizations that build upon this connected device ecosystem for things like activism or that affect geopolitics yes i do and and more than that i i hope i I hope there are because um this internet of things is being designed very much by government actors and firms private firms industry and civil society groups um, aren't really part of the conversations yet. They, they don't really have, uh, by default, an Internet of Things strategy. Many of them have online communication strategies, but there are very few civil society groups that are organizing about or on the Internet of Things, and there are very, very few civil society groups who can use the Internet of Things uh, as a research tool or as a lobbying tool. And I should say the other side of this involves journalists. Again, there, there are some journalists who do very creative things with, with um, device networks. But um, doing investigative work in the next few years is going to, be, it's going to involve being smart in the analysis of big data gathered over the Internet of Things. There are some people who believe that, um, I guess it would be the naysayers, that they would believe that um, technology and digital technology has rather strengthened the ability of autocratic um, nations. But I was just wondering, from your perspective, do you think with this increased connectivity that there will that governments will have to think differently about the ways that they govern their citizens? Yes, I, I think actually that the meaning of governance will will change. I think for for a long time. Um, you and I, others working in political science and, and international affairs, have used words like authoritarian and democracy um, to refer f- fairly specifically to uh, voting and executive turnover, right? Most of the language we have to describe regimes is based on this notion that in democracies you vote and in dictatorships you don't vote. Snowden has taught us that there is uh, a fine line, that there are uh, democracies that do so much censorship and surveillance that um, they really water down the term democracy. And at the same time, there are some authoritarian governments that are, what's the charitable phrase, um, surprisingly responsive, that that use digital networks to uh, gather information on their citizens, but also to, to provide public goods. Now, I'm not trying to apologize for authoritarian regimes, but I'm saying that that what a democracy is and what government is in the next few years will be defined by how those regimes use the Internet of Things either as a tool for social control or as a means of supporting uh, civic activism. And I hope that our democracies, the the governments we think of as democracies now, will do more of that latter, um, 
turn the, infinite, the internet infrastructure uh, over to civil society groups to be creative with. One of, the, one of the things that I'm really fascinated with is the role of smart cities in, um, in geopolitics and the, the potential role of them. And I was wondering if um, I could get your perspective on the role that you think that super like, hyper-connected cities will have on, on geopolitics. Do you think that maybe with this change in governance, do you think that cities themselves will have a greater say in geopolitics over and above the state itself or that's a great point uh, yeah I, I expect they would because smart cities uh, for the first few years of the internet of things will will generate much of the data and if if policymakers start using data in savvy ways they'll be responding to public needs and se- trying to solve collective action problems that are defined by the people in those cities i think this is a a fairly traditional tale that involves, uh, you know, rural areas getting slightly older technologies or getting technologies a little bit later than what the cities get. And so, yeah, I agree, cities will probably dominate the Internet of Things. But, you know, the other the other part of the storyline is that uh, wealthy cities will probably dominate the Internet of Things and big data in the next few years. So London and New York L.A. and Toronto, uh, perhaps uh, perhaps Frankfurt, Berlin. These are the cities that are spending good money on um, traffic lights, uh, garbage pickup, um, uh, energy flows. Right, monitoring energy flows. And as those l- large large collections of humanity get more efficient uh, at managing energy and signal- signaling within the city, they'll they'll be better cities. Right. That's what'll make them smarter. It sounds very much like you're saying that power um, in the sense that, I guess the traditional sense that we understand it, is going to change and it's going to shift to the ability to extract insight from these huge quantities of data. And and it very much, I guess this is very much, it's very much soft power, but Mm. it sounds like intelligence and insight or the ability to get those is going to result in... um, almost like 21st century power, if you like, or certainly in this hype, in this connected ecosystem. I think that's right. I think the, the smart power, you're right about smart power. I bet the smart power will be relevant in the sense that the, the cities that can take advantage of the Internet of Things and become smart cities will have booming economies, right? And we'll, we'll, be able to, we'll have the economic clout to be able to uh, influence how other other cultures, other cities, other other countries think. There's still a real hard power dimension to this, though. If the if networks, national networks, get set up in uh, parochial ways, in in ways that um, provide clear borders, say between the infrastructure of one country and another, then we'll still have a very territorialized kind of internet, and um, governments, militaries, will still be able to attack one another's infrastructure in very, very concrete ways. Now, one of the things I argue in the Pax Technica book is that essentially there's there's two major ecologies merging. Uh, the U.S. is going to build an Internet of Things that will serve it and probably also the U.K., Canada, perhaps Western Europe, pro- almost certainly Latin America. China is building a rival Internet of Things, and it will serve um, a billion, or well over a billion people there, and uh, large chunks of Southeast Asia. 
it's possible that Europe will carve a third path, right, with different kinds of technology standards. That, that means there's a, a slightly different European Internet of Things. And it's also possible that the Russians will, will do something different, um, build an Internet of Things that's, that's geared towards surveillance. So I think there's still a hard power angle here. We have to be aware that the, the Chinese want something different from their Internet, right, than, than what, what people in the West want then I guess from what you're saying is that um, power isn't really going to change at all. No, we're still, oh, right. the, the, you know, we're still building, building these infrastructures to support the prevailing power dynamics in the international system. Good point. I, I would say that the, the, um, the alliances may change slightly. So I think you know what, what? Well, what do you think is the? Let me turn the tables a bit and say, what do you think is the right word? If if we're living in a multipolar world, mm-hmm. I would say that we're the Internet of Things will probably take us out of that multipolar world and put us into um, another bipolar one. That's at least the West, the the, organ, the the network I'm calling the Pax Technica, and what the whatever it is the Chinese build, the Russians and the Europeans, perhaps India may build something slightly different, but. But these networks will be defined by the political cultures that are producing them. And I'm not sure we'll be multipolar for much longer. And countries around the world will essentially have to choose between assigning on to the information infrastructure that's rolled out by Google and Apple and Microsoft, or they'll have to choose to sign on to the information infrastructure rolled out by China and Huawei and, and the other large public-private partnerships that are China-based. I mean, th- this, this, is, this is fascinating because it's, it's quite um, frightening, that kind of future, <laughs> that we actually, you know, that we're actually maybe taking a step backwards into, into not power being diffuse as it is at the moment, but actually they're just being very specific um, technical poles upon right. which power um, upon which power rests I think that's I think that's fair to say and and the hope for me lies in having uh, the West at least deeply involve civil society actors in the design of the Internet of Things and and the hope lies in having us in the West get some control over uh, who uses our data. And what I propose in the book is not that we, uh, as consumers, get to um, prevent the industry from using our data. What I propose is that we get, as consumers, we get to decide who else, what other civil society groups can use our data. So we'll never be able to cut Apple, Facebook, Microsoft out of the flow of data from our lives. But I should be able to say that uh, I'd like my data shared with my neighborhood hospital, uh, my doctor, and of course my favorite social scientist, right? I want want it to be shared with the local university. Um, Right now we're building an internet of things that won't allow that. And for us to have a good internet of things, uh, an internet that that we like, I think we need to build in that that option, that that option for users to to direct the flow of their data to organizations they want to support. Do you think that we have a good enough awareness about what we can achieve from this vision that we're that we're talking about? Um, 
I guess, apart from reading your book, what do you think that the general public and civil society can do to make sure that the this coming ecosystem is as open and useful to us as human as human beings as possible? As possible. Well, there's a couple. I think a couple simple things that that may at at face value may not seem to have much to do with the Internet of Things. The first is that people should probably check their credit ratings. And the reason for this is that the credit ratings right now, our consumer credit ratings, are probably the largest agglomeration of data about us and our behavior. And there's all sorts of research about how uh, one in 20, one in 25 people have uh, egregious errors in their credit ratings, right? Just the information's wrong. Um, and this information gets used by a huge number of actors to make um, political decisions about the ads you see online, about your opportunities as a consumer and the stuff that, that gets advertised around your neighborhood. So, so going through the process of getting your consumer data, uh, editing it, um, will teach you a lot about how you're being tracked. And uh, correcting mistakes, it may seem like you're, you're sort of helping credit card companies by improving their data. But, but I think it, being aware that you as a consumer generate lots of data uh, is an important first step for a lot of people. Because a lot of people don't even know that these records about their lives exist. The second thing would involve just being smarter about the technologies you bring into the home. I think we're going to be uh, really excited each, each Christmas, each birthday you know, wave of birthdays that, that we go through over the next few years, we're going to be presented with new gifts, smart light bulbs, um, new refrigerators that, that keep track of our consumer goods, smart coffee makers that, that keep track of our coffee consumption. And uh, a lot of us will never really care about the privacy settings on our coffee maker, but those of us who do, we should be able to, to change those settings and and I think that we as a consumers should try to be smart about supporting the companies that let us have a little bit of control over over the data that, that we generate. Can you see um, the access to data will become, say, a political issue in the future? Like, can you see, for example, political parties being voted in, for example, on the amount of data that they might give the public access to? Oh, absolutely. I think there's already good examples of of how parties uh, aggregate and manipulate large amounts of data. And, you know, a good campaign manager wants the best available data. The Internet of Things is going to generate almost perfect behavioral data. Right now, most political scientists, most campaign managers play with um, opinion data or um, data that's collected, you know, by surveys, polls, pollsters, polling data. And it's sort of, it's attitudinal. You ask people um, whether they want to protect the right to have a gun or whether they're pro-life or pro-choice, but uh, the Internet of Things will actually generate very precise data on who's buying contraceptives and when. And, and that data is, is powerfully political. Right? So, so any political actor or lobbyist is going to want access to the, the behavioral data that's collected, and they're going to want to be able to play around with it. So I guess then, um, Tim Berners-Lee recent call for the for a basic a new Magna Carta um, for the digital age is is really prescient. You know this this idea that we might actually need 
and new social contracts in this hyper-connected age um, based on this, on this behavioural data that, um, that the governments are able to, or the, these companies are able to provide on us. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think we need a new, a new deal um, because, because the Internet of Things is essentially is, is much more about collecting data than it is about any particular consumer good. So the, the real value that the Internet of Things generates is, is this aggregated information about me and my demographics and my income and my political interests. So, I, you know, most of us don't mind sharing a little bit of data in exchange for better services. Unfortunately, the Internet we have now involves so many third-party deals and strange advertising arrangements that we can't actually follow ourselves that, that most of us have lost track of most of our data and have no, of way, no way of knowing who's using it or, or what they're using it for. I do think we need a new new social contract, one that that allows us to direct some data in ways we find appealing. I don't, like I said earlier, I don't think we'll ever be able to cut governments out. I don't think we'll be able ever be able to cut out Facebook or Google or Microsoft from from the process of data aggregation or Samsung or AT and T. But we should be able to redirect some of our data, our individual data, uh, to the organizations we also want to support. I think from from this um, from this future that you're that you're speaking about, I can see a very real problem insofar as um, companies and governments viewing people as simply data points. Um, and the reason why I was asking that um, is that. Um, I think it's it, it looking at people as data points, and it's really dehumanizing. I think that I think that's right. It it is dehumanizing. I would say that the the big difference is that the internet of that the internet of things will be so pervasive that that the data will be um, pretty accurate and be pretty representative of your your interests and your behaviors. Now, I would say. It won't generate aspirational data. So we may, we may want to eat fewer chocolate bars, but if the Internet of Things reveals exactly how many chocolate bars you know we eat in an average month, um, that will be useful lobby information for the chocolate lobby. It'll be useful information for the um, candy producing industry. Um, what we'll lose is this this aspirational information that. That if we can, we would want some. We, we would like to consume less candy, and we'd like to be eating better. Um, I think the behavioral data will have so much nuance. It'll take a, almost sort of real artists, right? It'll take computer scientists who are real artists to be able to preserve nuance, preserve the nuances of individual interests in big data. But uh, you know, if there's a, like I said earlier, if there's 10 billion people living in a world of of 100 billion devices. Um, all generating data about our whereabouts and our our behavior. Um, that's a that's a very detailed picture, uh, much more detailed than we get out of the internet now. We could, I guess, could you flip this over, and then um, if activist groups such as terrorist organisations or or um, 
other civil society organisations, if they're able to access this kind of information, this very detailed behavioural information, doesn't that make then groups of people much more um, manipulable to the ideologies of other organisations? Great question. I think the answer is is yes, but that the 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 groups that'll be the political actors that'll be best to that Im- manipulation will be firms and large governments. For now, um, whatever you think of the uh, GCHQ or the the NSA in the United States, the security services in the West have actually been pretty good about shutting down the information infrastructure of terrorist groups. There are groups that use social that seem to be using social media to attract young people to draw people into the, you know, the ideological packages. But almost as soon as as these terrorist groups use a new information infrastructure, uh, the Western security services figure out how to get online and meet them there, generate the honeypots that that trap their recruiters. Um, use the the metadata, the log files, to actually figure out where the, the the terrorists are are getting online, and so I am I'm not sure there are many good examples of terrorist groups using device networks successfully for extended periods to achieve some ideological agenda. You know, I, I, there's a section in the book about how, this is my argument that that. Um, Osama bin Laden was essentially killed by the Internet of Things, was the first real political casualty because it was the absence of data being generated from a particular compound that made that location so suspicious, right? It was the cell phone towers around simply weren't logging the the flow of traffic that that should have been coming from, uh, from the compound he was in, and that was an important flag. So immense numbers of hours of, of human capital went into to actually finding him, and the the military personnel who went in certainly took on risks. But but it, the Internet of Things played that surprising role in that one instance of catching a powerful political actor. And I'm not sure that there are good stories to be told about terrorists using information infrastructure the same way. Well, well, this is um, this is so interesting. But unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it here. Um, Phil, where can people find out more about you and your work? Well, thank you, Adolfo. I I have a book website, which is simply Pax Technica P A X T E C H N I C A dot org Pax Technica, and there's a couple of book chapters up there. There's some um, I've just put up a, an interactive IoT timeline with uh, a lot of cultural, political events that are relevant. Uh, and that's on there. There's some interactive content. And my own website is philhoward.org. Fantastic, Phil. Um, well, look, I will link to all of these in the show notes. Um, but Phil Howard, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your insights. I really appreciate it. Thanks for a great conversation. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Phil Howard. Understanding just how important it is for us to be data literates in the future was incredibly interesting. And the idea that governance will have to change is absolutely fascinating. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a comment or a five-star rating for us in iTunes or Stitcher because they really, really help. 
Stay tuned also for some more excellent episodes. We have some incredible people lined up who are ready to share their insights with you. Also, stay alert for our series of IoT and business transformation conferences, which will be announcing very soon. Until the next time, take care.